Amen. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, our hearts can't help but burst forth in praise and worship when we consider what You have done for us. May our praise truly be a sweet song to Your ears as we thank You and praise You for the greatest gift ever, the gift of Jesus, the gift of Your Son, who came to this earth on a rescue mission for our very souls. As we focus on on His birth this Christmas season, we can't help but turn our attention to His death on Calvary. His mission. A death that purchased our redemption and canceled our debt of sin. Thank You. Thank You for ransoming us back to You, Father. Hear our song. Hear our praise. And visit with us this morning, Lord, as we study Your Word. In the precious name of Your Son, we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas is what? Ten days away. And it sneaks up on us every year, doesn't it? And I'm sure many of us are in all-out panic (laughs) as we prepare for the festivities and the the family gatherings and the events and the ever-present, never-ending, all-consuming quest to find our loved ones the perfect Christmas gift. You've been there, right? Well, the story is told of an elderly grandfather who wanted to get each family member the most perfect Christmas gift. And he thought and he planned and he researched and he thought about each person in the family, what they liked, where they were in their lives. And and he made extensive lists. But as the holiday quickly approached, it became very clear to him that given his advancing age and his declining health and the now epic Christmas list that he'd assembled, there was no way there was no way he was going to be able to physically go out and acquire all of these masterpiece presents. And he didn't do the Internet, so he, he didn't shop online. So he decided this. He decided to give each family member a very generous check in lieu of the presents he had planned. He figured this way they'd have more than enough funds to go out and get whatever, whatever they wanted. So he wrote the stack of checks And then on each Christmas card, he penned the words, buy your own present, exclamation point. He mailed them early and and he was so satisfied that his quest was complete and his shopping list could be put away. And as the days rolled by, he realized that he had not received one single thank you for his incredibly generous gifts. In fact, he was met very icily by, by family members who had received his cards. And at first he thought, what an ungrateful lot. But then as the days rolled by, it became became too suspicious that not one family member would even acknowledge his gift. So puzzled over this, he went into his study, intending to write a couple of his relatives and ask what had happened. And it was then as he cleared off his cluttered desk that he got his answer. Under a stack of papers, he was horrified to find the gift checks which he had forgotten to enclose with the cards. (laughs) And he realized now that his message, buy your own present, exclamation point, took on an entirely different meaning than he intended. It's a funny story, isn't it? But 
We go through that quest. We go through that quest, don't we? We want to give the perfect Christmas presents to our loved ones. We want that present to represent our love. We want it to be something they desire. We want it to represent our gratitude for them. But what can we give the one who gave us the greatest Christmas gift at Christmas? What can we offer to the God who holds the entire universe in the palm of His hand? God has done so much for us. God has given so much to us. He gave us His only Son to die for our sins. How, how do we give back? What can we give back? Well, the prophet Micah thought long and hard about this very same question. And he came up with three perfect gifts that we can give God. We're going to take a look at those this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Micah or, or look up at the video screens. Micah was one of the twelve minor prophets mentioned in the Old Testaments. He was a contemporary of the prophets Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. And for a bit of context, the state of affairs during Micah's role as, as prophet to the nation of Israel was one of shambles. Jerusalem was under siege. The rulers were self-serving and corrupt. They were forsaking the Lord and they were causing the people to seek other gods and worship idols. There was no safety, there was no security, and no place to hide. But in the midst of that despair, Micah proclaims a message of hope. From a small town called Bethlehem, a leader will arise. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, of ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And He will be our peace. Let's stop there. That leader will establish a kingdom of justice. It goes on in that chapter to describe a ruler who would rescue the nation from its enemies and establish justice and order. So a kingdom of justice. He will also establish a kingdom of mercy. Micah says he will act as a shepherd to his flock. What does a shepherd do? Protects, feeds, cares for his own. And he will establish a kingdom of peace and humility out of tiny, lowly Bethlehem, the smallest of the clans. It said, a king will come and he will be our peace. So to answer the question of what can we give God, what can we contribute to his kingdom, the answer becomes very clear to Micah. Read what he has to say. Micah chapter 6 now, verses 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly 
with your God. Micah prophesied of Jesus' arrival as King of Kings, that he would establish a kingdom of justice, of mercy, and humility. And so to answer the question of what can we give him, he comes up with those same attributes. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Same characteristics. So what can we give God? Micah makes it clear. God is not interested in sacrifices or, or religious acts that have no meaning behind them. He wants us to live out the characteristics, the attributes of His kingdom. Those are the greatest gifts we can give Him. We're going to look at each one of them today. Our first gift, act justly. Throughout the Bible, over and over, from Old Testament to New, we're called to act justly. Speak truth. End oppression. Stand up for the helpless. Take care of the poor. Treat foreigners in your land the same as your own people. Widows and orphans who have no way of providing for themselves, they need your help. This is the way God treats us and the way He expects us to treat others. Jeremiah 22.3 gives specific instructions. It says, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. In the New Testament, James goes on further to examine what it means to live out our faith. Going beyond church attendance and Bible study, James 1.22 to 25 says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's a good challenge, isn't it? We know a lot. We're well taught, especially here where there's such an emphasis on godly living and practical application. We know how to apply God's principles to daily living. We have the knowledge. We've received the instructions. But what good is it if we don't do anything about it, if we don't act upon it? What's the use if we don't put into practice that which we've learned? Notice Micah's exact wording. What does he say? Act justly. Not think justly. Not learn justly. Not suggest justly. Not plan justly. No, act justly. Do. Be doers of good. Be doers of justice. Be doers of righteousness. Charles Swindoll gave what I think is the most perfect illustration of this in his book, Improving Your Serve. He says this, let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you're my executive assistant in a company that's growing rapidly. I'm the owner and I'm interested in expanding overseas. And to pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family and in the move to Europe for six to eight months. And I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you direction and instructions. So I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations 
And finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office and I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room and she's doing her nails, chewing gum and listening to her favorite music station. I look around and notice the wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks. And nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask about your whereabouts and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there somewhere. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you're finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been temporarily turned into a television room for watching afternoon soap operas. What in the world is going on, man? What do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah, sure. We got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have had letter study every Friday night since you left. We've even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many of the things you wrote. Some of those things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of the sentences and paragraphs. And one or two of us even memorized entire letters. Great stuff in those letters. Okay, okay, you got my letters. You studied them and you meditated on them. You discussed them and even memorized them. But what did you do about them? Do? <laughs> we didn't do anything about them. And that's it, isn't it? That's exactly it. Knowing without doing is useless. What was accomplished? There's no place in God's kingdom for empty knowledge, for lifeless learning. Let's act upon what we know. Let's apply what we know. If you see a need, fill it. If you know the right thing to do, you don't have to pray about it. Do it. If you know that's God's will and that's the right thing, do it. Act justly and you will represent God's kingdom and you'll thrill his heart. That's a gift he wants, isn't it? Our second gift, love mercy. What's mercy? Well, when it's within our power or right to punish or harm someone, but we show compassion and forgiveness instead, we're demonstrating mercy. And while we'd all like to think of ourselves as merciful, it's not a trait that comes naturally to us, is it? In our human nature, there's something about revenge that's very attractive to us, isn't it? When a Hollywood studio needs a film that will generate quick income, you know what they do? Every few years, you'll see it. They look for a good revenge story. They know that the public will eat it up. They'll flock to a story about a mild-mannered person pushed to seek his own justice. We love it. We live in a culture that's obsessed with retaliation. Even when it's a form in the form of a, of a wise-cracking protagonist that responds to a stupid question or a statement with a verbal uppercut. That's not mercy. Mercy looks beyond what someone deserves so that they can experience what could only be theirs through benevolence, through goodness. God wrote the book on mercy. The writer of the book of Lamentations penned the words, Lamentations 3.22, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Yes, great is your faithfulness. His mercy gave and gave and it keeps giving. 
Every morning, His mercies are new. Mercy and love are linked with God. God has declared His love for us and nothing will ever change that. Nothing will change His decision to love us. Though His justice demanded a price, the price for our lives, for sin, His mercy stepped in and gave us His Son to pay that price, to die in our place, to be that sacrifice. That's mercy. Sacrifice. You know, when you take stuff to goodwill, you're probably not sacrificing your favorite items, are you? You're likely decluttering, you're getting rid of of junk you never use and making room for new junk. (laughs) Right? But by giving things to goodwill instead of throwing them out, we feel good about ourselves. We, we, we We get the feeling that we're more charitable than we are. Well, the same thing happens when you think about mercy. When we're nice instead of being grumpy to others, we imagine ourselves as merciful. Oh, I bit my tongue. I held my tongue. What did it really cost you? True mercy always has an element of sacrifice to it. There's a cost to mercy. It's the way we respond after something has been taken from us. It's how we react after we've been treated poorly. How do we respond when our reputation has been hurt by false accusations? Victor Hugo's Les Miserables tells the story of Jean Valjean, a man who has just spent 19 years doing hard labor for a crime of stealing bread. And as a criminal, Valjean isn't welcome anywhere, so where does he go? He ends up being taken in by a local church. Knowing that God's law requires love and charity and hospitality, Bishop Mariel tells Valjean, Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. In a desperate act, Valjean takes off in the middle of the night with the church's silverware and is caught by the police the next morning. When questioned about the silver, Valjean tells the authorities that the bishop gave it to him. The police take him back to the bishop to corroborate his story. Now, Bishop Muriel is in a very difficult position. He's shown this criminal charity and he's been repaid with the theft of one of the church's few extravagant possessions. And he's well within his rights to tell the truth about this betrayal and no one would question whether he did the right thing. But instead of turning him in, the bishop grabs silver candlesticks from the church and shoves them into the criminal's hand. And he tells the police that, oh yeah, not only did he give Valjean the church's silverware, but he had also forgotten to take the candlesticks too. After the police has left, the bishop tells Valjean, forget not, never forget that you have promised me to use this silver to become an honest man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you belong no longer to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I am buying for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition and I give it to God. That was mercy. That's what God did for us, isn't it? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We had no thought about Him. We could care less about restoring our relationship with God. And in the midst of that sin and our belligerence, Christ died for us. Was it deserved? No. Was it justified? No. But it came from a heart of love. When we have been treated with such mercy... And when we continue to be treated 
that way. Make no mistake about it. We require much mercy on a daily basis. How then do we treat others? May we give mercy as generously as it has been given to us. Always remember these three things. First, remember how much mercy we require from God. How far did His mercy go? The Bible is one story after another of God's mercy triumphing over judgment. Despite constant betrayal, God responds with patience and mercy every time. And in the midst of, of all of it, in the most shocking display of mercy in history, He gave us Jesus. The sinless Christ went to the cross as punishment for all mankind's sins. Remember. To remember what mercy can do, what judgment cannot. You want to see a hardened heart melt? It's not judgment that does that. You want to see a grudge be totally put aside? Show mercy instead of judgment and watch what happens. And three, we follow God's example. Jesus reminds us in Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. When we're quick to offer forgiveness for wrongs others have committed, when we sacrifice to others or show deep kindness and warmth to others, wanting what's best for them, even when they don't deserve it, we're becoming lovers of mercy. And that's, a, that's music to God's ears. What a wonderful gift we can give Him. Choose mercy. Love mercy. And illustrate to others the heart of God's kingdom. Act justly. Love mercy. And our third gift, walk humbly. Humility is, in its simplest terms, a clear recognition of the honest truth. The truth about who and what you are and who and what God is. When you see the greatness of God and you measure yourself by it, humility is the obvious correct response. But we're so attached to our pride that we're sure there must be an exception list somewhere and we're on it. That's pride. Pride is elevating ourselves to a position that we were never meant for. Micah spoke out against the king and the leaders of his time. They were self-centered. They were proud. They were self-serving they used the people and they only looked after their own welfare. That's why he envisioned a different kind of leader, a different type of leader. The leader that would come from the small town of Bethlehem. A servant who walked humbly among his people. Jesus, we see him who lived a life of service and love and who died a humiliating and excruciating death, choosing not to exercise his godly power and command his hosts of angels to fight for Him. And such is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not experienced in physical power, the domination and control of others, or the insistence of obtaining one's desires. We clothe ourselves in humility and walk the walk of Jesus. We celebrate that we're His children. We're God's children. And humility comes as we thankfully receive His forgiveness and rejoice in the God who did not turn His back on us. It seems so obvious, the truth of humility, doesn't it? Then why is it so difficult? Because of pride. Our pride has a hard time letting go. In our human nature, we have this deep-seated desire to elevate ourselves. That's why humility is a constant process. It's mastered by being constantly in touch with God. 
If he's there as your guide, guess what? Humility will follow. But it's a constant process. Look carefully at each word in that phrase. Walk humbly with your God. Walk. It's not just a thing of meditation and prayer, but also of doing. It must be shown in the activities of life. Walk humbly. Remind yourself as you go that God is your constant companion and guide so that when the temptation comes to take credit for your works, you know the one to whom to point. Walk humbly with, side by side, in close friendship and adoration. Don't put God in the the back corner of your mind. Make Him your constant traveling companion, the priority of your life. Walk humbly with your. Do not rely on what others have said about Him. You can't use your parents or your spouse's fellowship with God. You must have your own. Your own fellowship with Him. Make Him your own. Walk humbly with your God. Remember, He is God. You're His servant and friend. You're a joint heir with Jesus, but He is still God. If you want to communicate with God, you must first acknowledge who He is. John 3.30 says, He must increase but I must decrease. A curious thing happens as you walk with God in this way. Gradually, sometimes imperceptibly, you seem smaller and smaller in your own eyes. He becomes greater and greater. That's a good thing. That's normal. If this doesn't happen, you're deceiving yourself. If you don't notice it, something's wrong. But if this does happen, you're growing in Christ. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The humbler you become, the more that God will work through you. And the devil knows this. That's why he will try to throw every temptation possible to make you prouder, to make you less humble. We remember the temptation of the older brother, right? The story of the prodigal son. The attitude of the older brother when the prodigal comes back. Why should we see such joy for such a sinner? We may feel this way sometimes. We look around and we see the stragglers and the strugglers and we start to feel good about ourselves. We judge them and we praise ourselves. And that is from the heart of the devil. The cure is to see things through the Father's eyes. We see the sinner. He sees a child coming home. There's also the temptation of genuine righteousness. You may indeed be doing great things for God. You're in a right place with God and He's pleased with you and chances are other people around you see that. And it's wonderful, but don't let it become a point of pride. The cure is simple. We remember this. Remember that your righteousness is not because of anything you did, but because of everything He did. When we remember that, we will walk in humility and we will live in peace with God and with those around us. What a wonderful representation of His kingdom. Walk humbly with God and you will give Him the gift He truly desires. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Friends, the story today is much the same as it was in Micah's day. We find ourselves in a world that's, that's broken. It's in shambles. Hate fills the hearts of men. Sin has established a firm grip, a firm hold on this world. Corruption reigns. Morality is lost and things seem hopeless. But just like Micah envisioned, into the darkness, in the midst of despair, a Savior offers hope. 
He offers a kingdom of light, a kingdom of justice, mercy, and humility. He came to die for us and to free us from the bondage of sin. He came to give us eternal life and to reestablish our relationship with God. And what can we give back? Live out the characteristics of the kingdom Christ came to champion. That's what God desires for us. Be doers of the justice for which we stand. Be lovers of mercy as God has shown us immeasurable mercy. And be followers in humility and peace as an example to all. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. May those be the gifts we bring to Him, not just at Christmas, but all throughout the year. And when we do, we're aligned with His principles. We're representing His kingdom to a watching world. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's better to give than to receive? Why is that? It's true. But why? Well, because the giving does something to the giver more than having received any gift. See, when we offer these three gifts to the Lord, acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with Him, we'll find that we are the greatest benefactors. Our lives will change. Not not because our circumstances will change, but because we will. We will be at peace. Our world and our situations and our circumstances may not be peaceful ones, but inside we'll be at peace knowing that we're close to God, that we're living right, that we're walking with Him. When we know we are walking with Him and He's by our side, there's no mountain that will seem too big. There's no storm that will seem too fierce. When we give Him all of ourselves, He gives us all of His presence and all of His peace. He never leaves Himself indebted to us. You will never, ever outgive the Lord. He returns your efforts tenfold. He returns your offering tenfold. You find yourself in a place today where you're holding back from God. And you've been holding back from God and you know it. You're not willing to offer Him all of yourself. You're a sometimes follower. You give Him some of your time. You obey some of His words sometimes. You walk in His way sometimes. Friend, that's no way to live. You have to make a decision once and for all about what you will do with Jesus. I'm in the process of writing a song and the chorus of which asks, What will you do with Jesus Christ? What will your answer be? The King of kings, the Lord of all, the Prince of peace is He. So what will you do with Jesus? Please answer carefully. Someday, my friend, you'll be asking, what will He do with me? Friend, this life is too short and eternity is too long to make the wrong choice and turn Him away. Throw your heart's door wide open and give it all to Him. Take Him as your Savior and give Him first place in your life. Isn't it time? Isn't it time you went all in? Isn't it time you live the life of least regrets? You know, one day you will look back at your life and you will inevitably, as we all do, have regrets. Don't let your relationship with God be one of them. Because that's the most important one. That one will be an eternal regret. 
Give him your heart today. If your relationship with him is right, everything else can be repaired. And believers, if you know him as Savior, there's no better gift to give him than living all out for his kingdom. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. A watching world will see Christ through your life. Live for him and you will spread the message of hope that Christ came to this earth to bring. You'll experience not just a merry Christmas, but a merry life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the gift of Your Son. The reason we rejoice. The reason we sing. He's our song. He's the reason we praise. And the reason we celebrate. And with sincere hearts, we want to give You back our lives. We want to live all out for You. We want to represent the kingdom that Christ came to bring. A kingdom of justice and mercy and humility. Help us. Help us to act justly. Not not just in word or thought, but with our actions. Help us to love mercy. And show to others the measure of compassion and forgiveness that we've been shown. And help us to walk humbly with You. Remembering our place in light of who You are and who we are. Thank You. Thank You for Your presence with us today, Father. We give You all of our gratitude and praise. In the precious name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.